What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm Jake Lisko, one of your hosts, along with James Rapine, the other one of your hosts. You can find us on Twitter at Jake underscore NFL and at James Rapine. Follow us there and follow at Locked On Bengals to stay in the loop for all things going on with this podcast. For today's show, we're joined by Marcus Mosher from Lockdown Cowboys, and we spend 20 minutes talking, actually not about Andy Dalton, about everything except Andy Dalton, in fact. And that will be in part three of this show, including at the very end, a fun question about the matchups to look forward to, and a reason that the game might be closer than Vegas thinks, with the Cowboys being favored by five points, despite the game being in Cincinnati. Before we get there, though, I did promise that we would get James on the record for his draft grades. We know that Joe, before his retirement, gave this draft an A. I gave this draft a B plus, I think. Maybe an A minus. I can't remember, actually. Now, now that I try to reflect on it, I'm sure our listeners know better than I do what I said. Easy graders. I I tried to be a little bit harder on it than Joe, knocking them for not getting an offensive lineman. But when you get a franchise quarterback, it's hard to, even if that's expected, when you get a franchise quarterback, it's hard to go much lower because that's so important in so many ways. Anyway, that's my rationale. This isn't about my rationale, James. This is going to be about your rationale. I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm excited to uh, give you all seven of... uh player grades and, the, and then obviously an overall draft score um should i give the burrow pick an a is, is that can i spoil that is that an a or a plus a it's minus an a, it's an a plus uh, it, it, I, it can't be I, anything else unless unless you're a justin herbert truther it's an yeah, a plus that's right it should have been herbert all along no it should yeah, have been herbert a, spoiler alert a plus for uh, the joe burrow pick it was a no-brainer We'll get there in the second segment of the show. We're going to start, though, by talking about the reason I didn't give this draft an A, essentially, and the reason that I knocked the Akeem Davis-Gaither pick. And I, I think I still gave Logan Wilson at, at least an A- minus because I really liked him as a prospect, and I got that mocked correctly to the Bengals in my final predictive mock draft. So uh, I can't knock that pick too hard if it was something that I mocked. But they still have questions on the offensive line. We've talked about it a lot. We're going to talk about it again today here in the open of the show before we get to those draft grades. The Cincinnati Bengals team website today wrote a puff piece to some degree about Mike Jordan being a force in the making. Michael Jordan is, it sounds like from this piece, expected to be a starter for the Cincinnati Bengals along the interior of the offensive line. He got off to a pretty bad start. Uh, according to this piece, he did not have rookie moments in his first year I would probably argue with that point there were games when he absolutely looked totally out of his depth to his credit he finished the season pretty strong he showed some tangible improvements and held his own more than held his own against some less than star quality competition but this is a theme for the offensive line from the left tackle position where we get Jonah Williams in his first year, which I think invites some questions just because it's going to be his first year in the NFL and he does not have the ideal size for an NFL tackle. He's a little bit shorter in the arms. He's a little bit underweight compared to most star tackles, but he's a great technician, right? So we start with that question, go all the way over to the right side. You skip center 
there's questions at every position, James. Yeah, there is. And and that's the problem is it, it feels like, Jake, over the past, really since 2015, there have been question marks on this offensive line. And the Bengals have tried to address it in the draft. It didn't work. And they, they did as well last year with Jonah Williams. He gets injured. Billy Price has been a bust up to this point. And he's uh, certainly not projected to be a starter. Is Mike Jordan probably going to start at, at guard? So you just you have so many question marks and so much uncertainty up front. And this was a draft where you were looking at it and seeing the depth. And I think the Bengals were hoping to get one of those top guys at 33, but they didn't view the one that was still there in Josh Jones as one of their top guys. And they clearly had a third round grade on him. So it's uh, they're rolling with what they got. And it's I get why fans are, are concerned about it, because it's the same thing we've seen year in and year out. I will say I still think the offense is going to be much better. I think Joe Burrow's set up his skill set, what he does. He can function better than Andy Dalton can behind a, a makeshift offensive line. But I think everyone's tired of talking about makeshift. At some point, you want to move forward with a, a solid offensive line. And, and unfortunately, the Bengals weren't able to shore it up, at least on paper, this offseason. Now, who knows? Maybe Jonah Williams ends up being great, and Mike Jordan emerges, and Fred Johnson or Bobby Hart plays like they did towards the end of last season where they're competent, and the line isn't as big of an issue as everyone expects but I have low expectations. I think you are too. You're, you're with me here. Low expectations for this line heading into the season, even though they're adding a former first round pick, even though they feel good about the development of Mike Jordan. It's just hard for me to see this this position group becoming a strength for the Bengals, which it needs to be at some point. I think if you want to keep Joe Burrow upright. We're looking for this position group to be at least average. That is the short-term goal. And for Bengals fans, they got spoiled a little bit with like 15 years of yeah. really good offensive line play from when Marvin Lewis came to the Bengals until 2016, more or less. And for the last few years, by comparison, it's just there's a stark difference in the quality of play. And for Andy Dalton, it, it dramatically impacted the quality of quarterbacking that the Bengals got. Now, Joe Burrow does mitigate that immediately to some degree because despite LSU winning awards for being the best offensive line in the country, if you watch those games, there's a good portion of the time Joe Burrow is absolutely evading rushers, running for his life, rolling out, finding guys downfield. And that's what Joe Burrow does great. But I want to paint an optimist picture for this Bengals offensive line in 2020. Here's how everything could go right. As James said, Jonah Williams comes in and is a quality starter at left tackle on day one. At left guard, Mike Jordan takes that step forward that we saw at the end of last year. He was very young coming into the league. It was expected that he would need to grow into the NFL game, but we saw that progression to some degree last year, and the optimist could say a year older, he'll be 22 this year, a year stronger, full year in an NFL program with some continuity, with the same similar scheme at the very least, with the same coaching staff, there's a step forward for him. Trey Hopkins remains stable at center. Xavier Suofilo improves at right guard compared to last year because he's a better scheme fit for the pulling the Bengals want to do. And you could even make a case for Bobby Hart entering his physical prime with the improvements he saw at the end of last year, or that Fred Johnson steps in and the competition just breeds better play at right tackle. That is the rosy picture for this offensive line. 
Yeah, and I, I think the Bengals view it that way. That they view that as a, a possibility, and they want to see the development that Mike Jordan makes. The uh, what Bobby Hart has done and what he put together towards the end of last season, Fred Johnson as well. But the reality of it, and I get what you were doing, you were painting the rosy picture, but the reality of it is is some of this isn't going to happen. Maybe Jonah Williams is your guy and he's a, a day one upgrade and you're just left tackle for the next 10 years. That's great. But if that happens, then may, maybe Mike Jordan is underwhelming or maybe the right tackle spot doesn't get solved. I just, I struggle to find a, a scenario where next offseason we aren't talking about this offensive line being the biggest weakness on the team. And, and I, there's going to be multiple, I think, with the free agents uh, that, that are set to come up. But I, I just I think that this line is going to be something they need to address next year in free agency and the draft. And it was one of the, the weak spots that they couldn't shore up all the way. I'm with you, though. I think some of this is going to happen. I think maybe Jonah Williams, if I had to bet, I think he's a guy who's going to contribute right away. And I think he could certainly have a good uh, first year starting, second year in the NFL, and you could feel good about him moving forward. I just don't see all of the things coming together that is necessary for this offensive line uh, to be anything more than competent and certainly have its weaknesses moving forward. Hope is not a plan. And that will inform James's evaluation of this draft class, and we'll talk about his grades. I will try to remember what I graded these picks in the moment and, and see if I agree with James or see if we have some disagreements in some spots. We'll get to that coming up next. For the entire month of May, the Locked On Bengals podcast is sponsored by Built Bar's James Rapine's favorite protein bar. And honestly, I've been working my way through this pack. They're really growing on me. I'm starting to think that they might surpass some of the other options in terms of the complete package. And the big selling point, James, is no sugar, very little sugar. There's like yeah. four or five grams of sugar in each bar. Yeah, it's it's great because you you have great taste. You're not sacrificing taste. You're getting your protein and you're doing it in a way that fits your macros. Look, we're all quarantined right now. We're all going through the same thing. You don't want to gain weight during quarantine. I'm maintaining right now. And, and as you said, I've I've eaten Built Bars for months, I, at least six months uh, of, of ordering Built Bars regularly. I love them. It's a perfect snack, midday snack while you're working from home. Or if you're going back into the office, grab a Built Bar. They're perfect. I get to try the peanut butter brownie tomorrow, and I'm very much Looking forward to my peanut butter brownie breakfast. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON to get $10 off your first order. That's promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. Welcome back into the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm James Erpine along with Jake Lisko. We come to you every single day bringing you the latest on the Bengals. And you guys haven't gotten my draft grades yet. I haven't written them at SI.com. I didn't do draft grades this year. I saved them specifically for this podcast today. And let's dive into them, Jake. My draft grades are here. Let's start with Joe Burrow. A++++. I feel like I've talked about franchise quarterbacks for the past five years. Those uh, that listen to this podcast, uh, my first go-around, knew I talked about Lamar Jackson like crazy. They knew I wanted a franchise quarterback. Well, waiting paid off because they get a guy in Joe Burrow who it's a home run. You had to pick him. They did. It was a smart move by the Bengals. A plus plus. Yeah. The only way that this doesn't get an A plus, we talked about this at the beginning of the show is if you somehow degrade it for the fact that 
it's expected to happen for the fact that it's so obvious that you can't mess it up. Like, if you wanted to grade the performance of the Bengals on this pick, they did as expected or acceptable because anything else would have been an F. So this is either a pick where the dichotomy is, this is always an A plus or an F. Or if you want to be like kind of irrationally critical about it, you could say this this pick was at expectations. You could give it a C, but that is not the world that I live in. That is not the world that you live in. I'm with you on the A plus. Yeah. I, if someone gave Joe Burrow pick a C, they need to get the hell out of here. I'll just I'll say that now. I, would, I haven't seen that. That'd be ridiculous. It would be a very different. Saying, it'd be a very different rubric, right? It'd be like yes. everyone's getting C's with occasional A's and F's sprinkled in. But it, it really, for me, truly was an A plus or F situation for the Bengals. Yeah, I'm with you, and uh, they certainly got the A plus there. Let's move to the the second round. T Higgins. This was a surprise for me, and I'm kicking myself for for being surprised by it. Because I was so focused on Denzel Mims and the history there. And then obviously Josh Jones and what he brought, right, in the potential to fill that offensive line. Um, But you go with T. Higgins, and the more I watch, the more I look back, I think the more sense it made. And I know you talk about athletic profile, 21 years old. I like that. I think he's still ascending versus a guy like Denzel Mims who he, he might be there, right? That might be it. And so I, I think T. Higgins uh, was a really good get. Uh, lucky for him, he goes from Trevor Lawrence to Joe Burrow. I'm going to give this, believe it or not, an A-. minus. Call me an easy grader if you want to. I just I really like the pick, and I think he can develop. If they can't keep A.J. Green, John Russ probably not going to be in town next year. I think T. Higgins can be a big part of Joe Burrow's development and, and help grow together, much like Dalton and Green did back in 2011. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that you make some good points and you've highlighted the things that you should like about this pick. He's young. That's a big deal. Tyler Boyd came into the league with a average, let's say, athletic profile, but he was very young. T. Higgins, similar. He he jumped really poorly and, and he obviously had a pretty bad 10-yard split on his 40-yard dash. But the Bengals had him clearly in the first round. His tape is very, very strong. His tape grade alone was much better than that of Denzel Mims. What Denzel Mims had over T. Higgins there was athleticism. And if you go off his senior bowl performance, he's getting better. He's learning the nuances of the game that he was missing on tape at Baylor. So there's a reason to believe he is ascending too in some of the subtleties of the game. And when I say that, I really just mean route running. For me, this pick only really gets docked because it is not the best offensive lineman on the board. We really liked Josh Jones in our formulaic approach to risk assessment draft grading. So it should have been Josh Jones for me, then Denzel Mims. T. Higgins was, though, a top six, seven player on our board at that time. So I'm not giving it quite an A minus. I think it's a B plus for me, if I recall correctly. But that doesn't mean I don't like the pick. I think T. Higgins has a lot of reasons to be successful coming into the league with Joe Burrow. I love their chance to grow together. It's just not the optimal pick, in my opinion. Yeah, I totally get it. I I understand it. And the Josh Jones conversation is going to bleed into round three because he was still there. And the Bengals go with Logan Wilson. And this was more surprising, not because it was Logan Wilson, because I think uh, it was a very poorly kept secret, if you want to call it a secret, 
that the Bengals like Logan Wilson. It was out there for sure. But when a guy like Josh Jones falls and he's still on the board at pick 65 in the whole world, and this is part of it too, is when you're in the media, when you're speculating, you don't know where the Bengals have him. Well, they had a, 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 a round three grade on Josh Jones. And Logan Wilson, a high round two grade. So they went with that. And so I, I get it. And when I think of the Bengals settling for a position versus the player, I think of those are the times where they they lose, where they miss out, where they draft bust, where they end up with a Billy Price when they wanted Frank Ragnow. Like, you know, like it's just there's so many times where that happens. So I really like this pick a lot. I'm going to go A minus again because one linebacker has been a need for a decade. It's a guy that they had a second round grade on. It's a guy that was clearly the highest on their board. They feel like he could contribute right away and he fills a need. And just because offensive line is a need, I'm not going to knock them for filling the linebacker need. So three A's in a row for the Bengals. Yeah, that's, again, a little bit richer than I go here. And it's not because of Logan Wilson as a prospect. I really like Logan Wilson as a prospect. If linebacker had equal positional value to offensive tackle, then this pick would be totally fine. It would be an A for me, like pretty easily, because I agree with the Bengals' assessment of Logan Wilson's talent as a second-round graded linebacker. I, I don't necessarily agree with the amount of draft capital that they use at linebacker. And I know you don't get the opportunity to know you're going to be able to draft Akeem Davis-Gaither in the fourth round, but the linebacker class in the third and fourth round were really strong. And all the simulations that Joe and I did when we were working through it, all the guys that we projected to go in that range. And if I think that they should have picked Josh Jones over T Higgins in the second round, I can sort of see the argument to go wide receiver there. I think there's a steeper fall off at outside receiver in the second round. For me, this pick can't go higher than a solid B. I really like Logan Wilson as a player. I like the value. I, I really don't like the positional value with a guy like Josh Jones available. But I still really like Logan Wilson's future, right? This this draft grade has no indictment on the future of Logan Wilson or his fit with the team. It's, it's strictly a positional value thing for me. Sure. And, and I, I get that. And, and I'm with you on value there i just to me i would rather the bengals pick a player they believe in right that also fills a need regardless of the value versus a guy that they might think is a guard and whether or not that's true or not i think that that's uh certainly uh, one of the concerns uh for josh jones and why he fell to the cardinals um let, let's let's keep moving let's go to round four akeem davis gaither i don't think anyone thought that they would go back-to-back -back linebackers. And this was a surprise for me. I had mocked Akeem Davis-Gaither to the Bengals. I thought he was uh, kind of their target. I'd met with them. You obviously have the senior bowl, stuff like that, a lot like Logan Wilson. This is going to get a, a B-plus for me. And it's part of it is positional value. You already had, uh, you'd already gotten Logan Wilson. You'd already addressed linebacker. And then you also have the injury concerns and the size issues right now with a guy like Akeem Davis-Gaither. I think he could play at a high level. Uh, you know, I think he could contribute. He could do some things off the edge. Like, the, he, you know, he's versatile and he could help on special teams. But I, I just wonder about the injuries, about his size, um, not him as a uh, his will to play at a high level, but everything else. So I like the player. If they would have gotten Josh Jones round three, Davis Gaither round four from a value standpoint and from a board standpoint, it might have been four straight A's. You know, because it would have made more sense. But you're not really filling a need at this point. It was a top player on your board, so I get it. 
clearly Lou Anarumo is is really um, persuasive because he's gotten his way uh, in free agency and then obviously gotten his way in the draft. So I, I like the player, but I, I can't give it an A. It's a B plus. I think clearly there's a high emphasis on the draft board for the Bengals at linebacker. Those guys were elevated because of the team need, and I think you see that here. You see that in the seventh round with Marcus Bailey. Even though I really like the Marcus Bailey pick, I love lottery tickets in the seventh round, and that's what he is. Akeem Davis-Gaither, another player I really like. I can see his role on passing downs for the Bengals as a versatile piece. He can blitz. He can spy. He's athletic. But they had just picked a linebacker that should start. They signed Josh Bynes in free agency. So how is Akeem Davis-Gaither getting on the field? What's the long-term vision there? I would have liked one of the interior offensive linemen here or maybe a Ben Barch, who I think can play interior right away. So I'm with you on the B. I'm not going lower than that for this. But it's kind of fringy B-minus for me just because two linebackers in a row. With, with your last premium pick. That that hurts me a little bit, but really like all the players they've picked at this point, so I'm not going to go lower than a B. Yeah, it, that's that's a good way to, to put it because I like the players, but at the same time you look at the positions. Like if they would have went wide receiver in round two and four, I would have been scratching my head a little bit. The same thing here with linebacker, but that, that's not really a, a, posi- uh, a player thing. It's a position thing. All right, so round five, Khalid Kareem, and I was thinking offensive line here. And I, I thought, I was like, because I've done, like you and, and Joe had done, dozens of mocks. I was like, okay, they could go offensive line back-to-back at five and six and then go maybe edge in round seven. And instead, they don't. They go edge here. And I, I don't love this pick. I think he can contribute right away. You know, I, I think he can um, come in for, for Carlos Dunlap if there's an injury on the edge or something like that. But I'm not going to go higher than a C here. It's just, eh, it's okay. You know, we'll see what he does. Um, and if he can contribute right away, I get why they needed to address edge. They had a bunch of needs. I just thought offensive line, especially after going back-to-back linebackers, you were going to go uh, O-line with this pick, and they didn't. And so uh, I'm going to give this one a C. Again, maybe he contributes right away. Clearly they liked him, and they like his versatility and his potential. But uh, I'm going to give it a C. Here are the offensive linemen picked between Khaled Kareem and Hakeem Adeniji in the sixth round. So between those picks, you have Danny Pinter from Ball State, who's actually an athletic freak, and if the Bengals had drafted him, I'd be really excited about it. Shane <laughs> Lemieux, who I think is a solid interior offensive line uh, prospect from Oregon. Colton McKivitz, offensive tackle West Virginia, who I don't think Joe and I graded. Keith Ismael, the San Diego State Center, and Nick Harris, Washington Center. So it's not like there's a bunch of guys that go in the offensive line from here to the Bengals' next pick in the sixth round. But some of the other names that I did really like, Jason Strobridge, uh, where's the other guy that I was looking at? Uh, Curtis Weaver. If you're going to go edge, Curtis Weaver had a lot more productivity. Bradley and I really liked his hand usage at the Senior Bowl. Dallas got him, and we're talking to Marcus, of course, from Locked On Cowboys in just a few minutes. So there were some players I would have liked more. Khaled Kareem, though, brings a specific set of skills that the Bengals clearly value this offseason. He has the length to set the edge and the size to set the edge effectively. He should be a plus run defender pretty much right away. Uh, And so I see the role fit here, but I'm with you. This doesn't excite me very much. It's a C for me. And, And part of the reason I think the Bengals went with Kareem here is because they just missed on Jack Driscoll and Tyler Beattis in the two picks prior uh, going back to back. And I think that either of them would have been fantastic fifth round picks. 
Yeah, and I I do think that that happened multiple times in this draft. I think, uh, as far as the offensive line goes, I think pick 33, if Isaiah Wilson from Georgia was there, I think they were taking him, and the Titans picked him with with, uh, the 29th selection, and that probably happened a couple of times, right? But the reality is, now you're in the sixth round, and let's go there, Akeem Adeniji, they take him, he's listed as a guard in, in some draft boards, listed as a tackle, the Bengals say, they view him as a tackle, and that uh, the expectation is he's going to compete to start at right tackle. I, I don't see it. Um, I, I think they they feel good about him and, and feel good about him developing potentially, but he's a four-year starter at Kansas. I, I think he's a guy that you hope, right, that you hope becomes like a, a Trey Hopkins, where he's just such a, a serviceable, hardworking, smart football player that he could come in and somehow find his niche and maybe even be a swing tackle or start on the inside if you need him to. But uh, I think they really like this versatility. I don't hate this pick. Um, and you needed to get offensive line. I'm going to give it a B plus because one, it's a tackle slash maybe guard and a guy who's versatile. But I, I don't really love his upside. You know, I think he's just a, a guy who could hopefully stay on the roster for the next couple of years. So I'll give this a, a B plus. Yeah, he's a fine swing backup for multiple positions on the offensive line. That's a nice thing to have in the sixth round. I, I don't think that expectations should be very high. I'm not going to disagree with your grade here. I like the lottery tickets of Natani Muti, and there's one other player in this round, Prince Tega Wanogo. Yeah. Those two are, are injury lottery tickets, that if they're healthy, that they, they work out. But the Bengals do take a lottery ticket in the seventh round that I loved in Marcus Bailey. Yep. Yeah, loved him too. I, I think in uh, the more you watch him, I'm not going to pretend like I watched a ton of Marcus Bailey pre-draft, but uh, I watched him afterwards. And, and here's the other thing. I, we talked to him for about 20 minutes right after he got drafted. And this kid was just so damn motivated to prove that he could be a productive player. And I hope, one, he's healthy so he can show that, what, you know, whether or not he's successful or not, because it's not his fault. Right, that, that he's had two torn ACLs, but uh, one in each knee. But uh, yeah, he's a he's a guy. I think he's going to be really easy to root for. Someone that uh, could certainly become a fan favorite. The more fans that hear him talk, because he's just extremely motivated, and, and a guy who would have went much earlier if it wasn't for injury concerns. So I, I think this is an A. I don't know how you knock it. I want upside this late in the draft because it is, like you said, it's a good way to describe it, a lottery ticket. So this is an A pick here, Marcus Bailey. Maybe he contributes on special teams as a rookie. Uh, it makes the team. Who knows? But either way, they're going for upside here, and I, I like it a lot. Marcus Bailey is the Rodney Anderson of linebacker prospects in this year's draft, and I, I love both picks. And so, James, what's your overall grade here? We've got a spattering of A's and B's. Your lowest grade, was it a C plus? Uh, it was a C. C C C for, for Kareem. Kareem. Yep, he, he got a C. I gave out four A's. Burrow, Higgins, Wilson, Bailey, uh, a B plus uh, for Davis Gaither, or no, two B pluses, Davis Gaither and Adenogy, and then Khalid Kareem got a C. Uh, I, I'm not a, a math whiz, but I, I assume if you did the math there, I mean, it's an A, and it's an A because, and you and Joe were right about this. Look, if Burrow's the guy, and one or two other players become starters. Pro Bowler, you know, if Higgins becomes a Pro Bowler, then you already hit a home run just with the two, the first mm-hmm. two. Burrow being your franchise quarterback and for the next decade, and you know Higgins or Wilson or Davis Gaither, any of these guys make it. So I think it's an A, and I think it's going to continue to be an A because I believe in Joe Burrow, and I believe that one or two of these other guys 
are going to be much more than just a a role guy. I think they'll be either high-end starters slash potential pro bowlers, whether it's a, a Higgins, Wilson, or Davis Gaither. I think that's your window. Those four, first four picks, I think two of them end up being pro bowlers, and all four can end up being potential starters down the line. I think pro- projecting a pro bowl for, for Logan Wilson and Akeem Davis Gaither is, is bold. Are you saying one of those guys is going to be a pro bowler or all, one, all three? Of, one of, one of the Higgins, three. Wilson, or Davis Gaither. One okay. of them. So I, can, Burrow, I can see that. Yeah, Burrow, and then one of the three. And if that happens, I mean, look at past Bengals drafts. That that instantly makes it successful. I mean, a franchise quarterback and another pro bowler yeah. with only seven picks, they've done much worse than some of these other drafts. Yeah, I mean, the thing for me in this draft is I like pretty much all the players they picked, and I can see the rationale for each of them. So, well, I didn't give it an A. I gave it a B plus because when you like all the players, you can't really go lower than that, right? And the the floor for this Bengals draft is probably a B minus anyway. As soon as you start with the franchise quarterback, you can't go that much lower. But there you go, B plus, and and James gives it an A. That is the summary of the draft grades here. We're back coming up next with Marcus Mosher from Locked On Cowboys with two days left in our crossover event. Listeners of the Locked On Bengals podcast, this is your warning. Mother's Day is May 10th. The next Sunday on your calendar, while it's not a Bengals game, I think it's more important, it's Mother's Day. So we have a cool book to tell you about. There's a contest going on. You can get her this book as a gift. Take her mind to exotic India where she can sample the food. Laugh at the perils of raising a teenager in 1950s India through a new book of fiction called The Henna Artist. It's in Reese Witherspoon's book club for the month of May. So if your mom's into Reese Witherspoon's recommendations, definitely check it out. Then anytime in May, you or your mom can post a picture on Instagram holding the book or the ebook, put it on Instagram or Facebook, tag the author at the Alka Joshi, T-H-E-A-L-K-A-J-O-S-H-I, and that will lead to a donation of four meals per post up to 10,000 meals that will go to Feeding America. So go out, hit up Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Walmart, Costco, or Target, whatever bookstore you like, buy The Henna Artist today and make your mom the ultimate winner in your family. Sports fans, football fans, we're continuing our cross-conference crossover edition on the Locked On NFL Network. Today, we've got Marcus Mosher from the Locked On Cowboys podcast. We've got James Rapine and myself, Jake Lisko from Locked On Bengals. Marcus, Andy Dalton is down there in Dallas. You've got a QB controversy on your hands. How are you holding up? <laughs> Oh, man, there is certainly a subsection of Cowboy fans that would like to see Andy Dalton uh, be the quarterback. We've been seeing that over the last couple of days on Twitter. Uh, but make no mistake about it. This is still Dak Prescott's job. Andy Dalton came here to be the, the, the backup quarterback. And eventually we'll all calm down. We'll come to the realization that Andy Dalton's not all that good. Marcus, where, where are the Cowboys right now in extending? And we can get back to Andy, but where are they sure. in extending Dak Prescott? Because I think that's part of it here is Andy goes to Dallas and Dak still has yet to get paid. Where are they at in that process? Yeah, so it is a little bit interesting. Uh, we'll, we'll first start with this. Jerry Jones has always said deadline spur action, and the Cowboys don't have to get a long-term deal done with Dak Prescott until July 15th, so there is some time here. Uh, before the draft, the team was working towards a contract extension. It does appear that the they've got kind of the number down that they want. 
Uh, but the real debate is coming on the, the the number of years. Prescott wants four years. The Dallas Cowboys want five or more. So there's still some uh, tussling going on between those two there. Uh, and then things tragically kind of got to a standstill here at the draft as Dak Prescott's brother passed away uh, during the first day of the draft. So uh, they've kind of allowed him to take his time. They're not you know, discussing anything new of you know, negotiations. So I would imagine as we get into June and July, that's when the, the contract negotiations will pick back up. And it doesn't get much better than Andy Dalton in this league as a backup quarterback. Just to touch on Andy Dalton for a little bit, because this is a guy that started for nine years. He went to the playoffs with a very talented team, given his first five years in the league, and he was injured for one of those years. Didn't win any playoff games is obviously the long-term knock on him. That's when most people have seen the most Andy Dalton. He never did well in those moments. But for Dallas, I think the signing makes a lot of sense, right, Marcus? Because not only do you get a very high-quality backup surrounded by talent, and the last time Andy Dalton had success, similarly surrounded by talent, there's a possibility that Dallas can trade him if another team needs a starting quarterback at some point in the year. There's a chance that you get a compensatory pick if Mm. he has any value next year as an unrestricted free agent. Because this year, it sounds like there, there were some reports of questionable veracity, I think, that he got better offers to go elsewhere, but decided, I want to be close to home in this time of uncertainty. Yeah, I can confirm that he did get better offers for teams that maybe even would have a potential starting job open to him later in the year. But this is a time where Dalton wanted to go to what he considers a good organization with a good quarterback coach and Mike McCarthy. Obviously, he's the head coach there as well. Um, but he thinks this is a time where he can learn or not learn and help Dak Prescott. Um, you know, he is going to play. If he happens to play, he's going to be on a team that's very talented with a good offensive line, good wide receivers. It's also going to be helpful that he's playing in good weather for most of his, you know, for most of the season. Uh, that's not something that you traditionally get playing in the AFC North, as you guys know really well. And then there's also the added factor of the Cowboys will be playing uh, the AFC North this year. So uh, he's going to help, you know, Prescott with blitz packages that the Bengals and the Steelers and the Ravens are going to bring uh, and what the personnel looks like for each of those teams. So a lot of reasons why the Cowboys wanted to bring him in. None of them have anything to do with potentially trying to replace Dak Prescott. I just think for a team that's in a Super Bowl window, paying $3 million for an above average backup uh, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it makes a ton of sense. And I I look at, let's say Andy does have to play a couple of games with those weapons. He could succeed in Dallas. It's uh, a lot comparable to what he had in Cincinnati during the earlier part of his career, probably better in a lot of ways. Uh, One of those reasons is because of CeeDee Lamb. Marcus, how surprised were you that CeeDee Lamb fell to the Cowboys in round one? Uh, I was pretty surprised that he fell. I think I was even more surprised that the Cowboys actually picked him. Uh, I didn't believe that there was any chance that the Cowboys were going to select Lamb at pick number 17 until I saw or until I heard Roger Goodell uh, start to mention his name on the live broadcast. So super surprising. The Cowboys were going defense all the way in this draft. Uh, they know they wanted to you know, improve that side of the ball. But Lamb was just too good of a player for the Cowboys to pass up. Again, he was the sixth-rated player on their board, by far their highest-rated receiver. Uh, I think this is just a time where it was too good of a value for the Cowboys to pass up. And you put him in an offense with Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, Ezekiel Elliott, uh, I, I think that's going to be pretty fun for C.D. Lamb. Before Goodell announced the pick, 
who were you expecting Dallas to pick when they were on the clock? And beyond that, what what's the general reaction in Dallas? Are people happy that you've got a new 88 in town or is it kind of a split reaction because things generally around the Cowboys, I mean, this is a hard job that you have, right? Things are divisive for Cowboy fans, huge fan base. Yeah. I think for the most part, Cowboys fans uh, love the selection. They love that he's going to wear number 88. Uh, That is a number that has a lot of history for the Cowboys. It's not just given out every single year. Uh, Players have to earn it by basically Jerry Jones's, uh, you know, but from what he sees in, you know, in college football. So uh, Michael Irvin, Des Bryant, and now uh, CeeDee Lamb, I think people are really excited. But uh, as for what we expected the Cowboys to do at pick number 17, it was Caleb on Chase on the LSU defensive end all the way. Uh, they told Chase on pre-draft if he was there at pick number 17, that's who they were picking. The Cowboys just had no idea that Lamb would ever, ever follow them. Uh, I guess they ran um, simulations and – there was no simulation. I think they said they ran 30 or 40 simulations pre-draft, and it never happened where C.D. Lamb was available to them at 17. I know on the Locked On Cowboys podcast, we did a couple simulations, and we did uh, some shows where Lamb did fall to 17, and we restarted the simulator every time that happened because we just figured that was he was such a lock to go inside the top 12 that he would never, ever fall to 17. So uh, it, it, was, it was quite a surprising uh, outcome for the Dallas Cowboys. I think a lot of people and a lot of analysts praise the Cowboys for what they did in the draft and the success they had over that, that three-day span. What are expectations right now? Because obviously they didn't win the division last year in the NFC East, even though it was a down year. Uh, injuries played a role in that. Do you think it's Super Bowl or bust? I know that's the national narrative, but what is it in, in Dallas? Yeah, I think the expectation is that the Cowboys should be a better team than what they were last year. I'm not sure that anybody expects them to win the Super Bowl this year in Mike McCarthy's first season, uh, but I do think they want to see a well-rounded, you know, a much better coach team than what we saw over the last decade. Um, I think most games, Jason Garrett was a net negative for the Cowboys. I'm not sure Mike McCarthy is a great coach, but I think he's gonna, he's never really going to be the reason why uh, the Cowboys lose games. So I think the expectation is you build on from the eight and eight season last year. Maybe they go nine and seven, ten and six, compete for a wild card spot, or you know maybe win the division. Uh, but definitely improvement. I think the, the the overall goal is to be you know contenders every single year, and they've done a good job of piling up talent on both sides of the ball. So maybe not a Super Bowl or bust year for the Cowboys, but definitely a team that should uh, have a winning record. Do you think that the Cowboys traded ahead of the Bengals? To pick Tyler Beattis? Am I remembering that right? Didn't they trade no, up to pick him? You're right. No, I, I do think there was the – I think the Cowboys wanted to make sure they came out of the draft with him. He was one of the players that was just so much higher on their draft board than everybody else that was available at the time. I don't think it had to necessarily do with one specific team. Uh, I just think that they would have felt sick if they left day three not getting Beattis. So, no, I don't think it was a, a Bengals-specific thing. I think the Bengals might have – had him on the radar there. I'm just telling you. I, when when I saw Dallas come up there, I'm thinking, hmm. And, and they picked a center. Uh, I, I thought that was the second interior lineman that they picked, actually, but it turns out it was it was not. And, and I thought that for the Bengals, who needed an interior offensive lineman as well, in our opinion, not necessarily the team's opinion, uh, that that would have made sense at that point. Marcus, really appreciate the insight into the Dallas Cowboys. Last point to talk about, Dallas is favored – by what did I say? Nine points 
when they come to Cincinnati this year at some point? What do you think? Do you think Dallas – sorry, it's five points. Is Dallas going to cover that? That seems like the right amount. Now, I know Cincinnati is a – I think they're a much better team than the number one pick that we saw last year. I think them grabbing um, some linebackers in the mid-rounds between Logan Wilson and Akeem Davis-Gaither, that should help quite a bit because their linebacker core was pretty awful last year, as you guys know. I do think Burrow is going to be a you know quite a bit bigger upgrade over Ryan Finley and Andy Dalton – but yeah, I, I would expect the Cowboys to to cover that spread. This is a, a Bengals team that's probably still a few years away from uh, becoming a legit playoff contender in the AFC North. Um, I, I would think that the Cowboys would probably win this game by about a touchdown. All right, we've got one more question for each of you guys before we go, and it's the same one. Uh, James, we'll start with you. What is the matchup you're looking forward to seeing the most between the Cowboys and Bengals this season? Oh, that's a good one. Um Andy Dalton versus no, um, <laughs> I, I, I think, uh, no, I, I honestly, I think the it's, it's really, it's, it's on defense and it's fitting that, that Jake just talked up Luana Rumo's defense. How does this defense, uh, starting with the defensive line, try to contain Zeke, right? The, the Cowboys are loaded at wide receiver. What do they do uh, against them against the, the new corners? They obviously added Mackenzie Alexander and Trey Waynes in free agency, Von Bell as well. So the secondary looks completely different than he did just a few months ago. So I think it's the Bengals' defense, how they match up with what's going to be a, a really explosive Dallas Cowboys offense. Jake? Man, I'm looking at the Dallas roster right now, and I, it's much better than I thought it was everywhere except corner. How do you feel about these corners? Anthony Brown, Chidobi, Awuzi, and Jordan Lewis. Not great. Yeah, I, know, I mean, not I know you drafted Trayvon Diggs there, but I'm, I'm looking no, for not. something positive for the Bengals, right? And I'm looking at this roster, and I'm seeing Demarcus Lawrence is going to eat against, I mean, if it's Bobby Hart oh, or if it's Fred Johnson. Poor Bobby Hart. Poor that's, Bobby Hart. That's not going to go very well, you know? Um, I look at Dontari Poe and Gerald McCoy on the interior, and, and that's a little bit scary. Neville Gallimore coming off the bench for that three-tech juice. And then you got Alden Smith, if he's playing by the time the Bengals play the Cowboys. I forgot about that move. Mm-hmm. So so that doesn't feel great to me. You got Van Der Esch and Jalen Smith at linebacker. All right, that, that's looking pretty solid too. The offensive line should still be pretty good, I'm guessing. Tyron Smith still there, Connor Williams, Zach Martin, Lael Collins. I, I've, I'm struggling to find a place that I feel good about the Bengals in this game. And so I'm looking at your corners. And I want to mm. know, can Dallas keep – can Dallas's corners, I guess, do enough to stop – and for this, I'm going to assume they'll be healthy – a very deep and versatile wide receiver core with A.J. Green, T. Higgins, John Ross's speed, Tyler Boyd in the slot. Will they be able to do enough – to keep it from being a close game where, you know, maybe it gets to be a shootout somehow, assuming DeMarcus Lawrence just doesn't wreck everything. Because I got to tell you, to be honest, every time I play against the Cowboys and Madden with the Bengals mm-hmm. roster, DeMarcus Lawrence has like seven sacks mm-hmm. and I want to throw my controller through the wall. Yeah, they're <laughs> they're not going to be able to stop AJ Green and Tyler Boyd and John Ross and all those guys. They just won't be able to. Uh, the Cowboys, they're going to have to just outscore teams this year on offense, and they know that. They're hoping that the defense will be more opportunistic this year and can create more turnovers. But, no, they don't have the talent right now to match up with good receivers. So that is uh, concerning. 
Um, I do feel a, a little bit bad for Bobby Hart, assuming mm. Demarcus Lawrence is in this game. Um, he's gonna, he's just going to beat him all game long. But Bobby Hart can go take a bath in all of his money, and it'll be okay. Um, yeah, it's that'll be that'll be the spot where the Cowboys have the advantage is, is in the front seven. I expect them to blitz a lot. They're probably going to try to confuse Joe Burrow. Um, but if he gets time to throw, I do think he's going to have receivers open. There you go. We'll have to hope that the Bengals can make this into a last possession wins shootout. Marcus, thanks for joining us today. That's been another episode of the NFC East AFC North crossover series completing tomorrow. We will be talking to Patricia Chena, who covers the New York Giants for the Locked On Podcast Network. Until then, Bengals fans, have a good one.